Well, I want to invite you to open up uh, to Lord's Day 6. I'd like to begin with a confessional reading um, from the Heidelberg Catechism from Lord's Day 6, which focuses on uh, Jesus Christ as our true and perfect mediator. I'm going to read all four question and answers, uh, but the focus primarily in the message is going to be on the last uh, question and answer. So question and answer 16, why must he be a true and righteous man? He must be a true man because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. He must be a righteous man because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for others. Why must he at the same time be true God? He must be true God so that by the power of his divine nature, he might bear in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for us and restore to us righteousness and life. But who is that mediator who at the same time is true God and a true and righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. From where do you know this? From the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise. Later he had it proclaimed by the patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. Finally, he had it fulfilled through his only son. In connection with this, I'd like to read uh, from Colossians chapter 2, or sorry, Colossians chapter 1, I should say, beginning at verse 24 and then carrying on through to 2 verse 7. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So far the reading of God's holy word. Well, brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, a few weeks ago as I was watching the news, I came across uh, a short 
video clip. It was a video clip about um, the inauguration of the, the president, the new president, um, Joe Biden. And as I watched this clip, it wasn't of the entire inauguration. It was just a small portion of the ceremony, and it was highlighting the oath that he took uh, while stepping into this office. And if you've seen the clip, you might remember that he placed his hand on this very, very large Bible. I'm told that it was an heirloom passed down somehow. But I was struck by the fact, as I watched this unfolding on national TV, I was struck by the fact that even though we live in a, in a largely secular world, a world that has very, very little use for God or for God's Word, I was struck by the fact that somehow the Bible still seems to be at least symbolic of the truth and the authority of God's Word. The challenge is that it is just that to most people. It is just symbolic. We find less and less people today who actually want to submit themselves to the truth and the authority of that word. I would argue that the vast majority of people today find the teaching and the instruction of God's word not to be binding upon them or upon their lives. And I don't think that that's simply an issue uh, that we face somewhere out there in, in the world around us but this is increasingly an issue as well for the Christian church. I was struck by this uh, when I read a study by the American Bible Society. It was um, a study that goes back to 2015, so relatively recent. And it was a study of those who attended church regularly. And when examining those who attended church regularly, this study revealed that 45% of those who attend church regularly acknowledge that they open God's Word for personal study more than one day a week. It's 45% who open it more than one day a week. 40% of those who are surveyed acknowledge that they only open God's Word for personal study one to two times a month. And almost 20% of those who regularly attend church acknowledge that they never open up the Word of God for personal study. Now, I recognize that I'm quoting here American statistics, but I would argue that if you were to take that and apply that to Canada, I'm not sure that the results would be that much different. And what these statistics suggest is that there is a lack of conviction about the power, about the authority, about the importance and the significance of God's Word. And that lack of conviction is leading to a lack of faithfulness. That's why if you look across the Christian landscape, you will find more and more churches who have deeply flawed doctrines when it comes to fundamental things like the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of salvation, or even the doctrine of the person and work of Jesus Christ. There are still many who want to identify as Christians, right? A survey, um, or sorry, I should say a census in 2011, the Canadian census of 2011, uh, reveals that two-thirds of Canadians identify as Christians. But what is deeply troubling is that less and less people are actually opening up God's Word to discover what that means. And so this afternoon in our time together, I, I would like to reflect on the significance of the gospel of God's word for our lives. Now, over the last few Sunday afternoons, you've been working through the doctrinal framework as we have it in the Heidelberg Catechism. 
And if you're familiar with that doctrinal framework, it begins by walking you through the doctrine of sin. That's kind of the, the starting point, Lord's Day's two through four, and then with Lord's Day five and following, we begin to get into the doctrine of salvation through Jesus Christ. And Lord's Day six, which I just read with you, holds out Jesus as uh, the true mediator, the, the, the true and righteous man, the true God, the only one who is able to reconcile this, this broken relationship that sin has caused, this broken relationship that exists between God and between man. And these two natures of Christ, his humanity and divinity, they are central, central doctrines of the Christian faith. And so, rightfully, they do get our attention and a lot of attention in our preaching and in our teaching. But as I read through Lord's Day 6 this past week, I was struck by the fact that the last question and answer often seems to get very little attention. We, we key in immediately on, on, on the, the humanity and the divinity of Jesus Christ as the one who's able to obtain for us and to restore to us righteousness and life, but we don't spend a lot of time thinking about the significance of the question from where do you know this? And the answer to that question is from the Holy Gospel. It's highlighting the fact that the only way that you come to know that the humanity and the divinity of Jesus Christ as the true mediator that you need is through the truth of God's Word. And so this afternoon, I do want to focus a bit more heavily on that reality, on the truth of God's Word and the impact that it has for our lives. And I want to do that by asking two questions this afternoon. I want to look at the question, what, what is the point of the gospel? And then secondly, what is the impact of the gospel. So those two questions are what I want to flesh out this afternoon. What is the point of the gospel? And then secondly, what is the impact of the gospel? So let's start with the question, what, what is the point of the gospel? Why is it so important that people read their Bibles? Well, I think it's a, a question we should ask, and perhaps it has more relevance even uh, right now as we stand here. We're at January 31st, the uh, the, the, the end of the first full month of this year. And I'm sure that there are uh, people, maybe even here, people watching online who are now one month into your Bible reading plan for the year. Uh, I confess that I also am one of those people. I, I follow a Bible reading plan, and it assigns me certain passages to read for this day. And that way I know that systematically throughout the year I'm reading through the entirety of God's Word. And I think there's great advantages to doing that. But there are potential disadvantages. And the disadvantages of a Bible reading plan is that it can become perfunctory. It, it can be something that you, that you simply do to kind of check off, well, I, I read the Bible today. And the point of reading the Bible is not simply to read the Bible. The point of reading the Bible, the point of the gospel, is to point us to Jesus Christ. And specifically, to point us to Jesus Christ as our mediator and as our redeemer. And this is something that Jesus himself highlights in his own ministry. I was thinking of the story of, of Jesus on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. As Jesus 
walks the road with these two individuals. They're, they're wrestling with the events of what happened in Jerusalem with the death and resurrection of Jesus. They don't understand that it's Jesus who's actually walking with them. And we're told that what Jesus does is that he opens up the scriptures for them. That he turns to, to the law of Moses, which is a reference to the first five books of the Bible, and, and he walks through those, and then he walks through the Psalms, and then he walks through the prophets, and he makes clear to them that all of Scripture is pointing to him. I think we need to understand that the gospel does not begin with Matthew, but the gospel begins already in Genesis. When Adam and Eve fall into sin, already in Genesis 3, verse 15, we have God preaching the gospel. He says in Genesis 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between you, speaking here to the devil, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He, speaking here of an offspring of the woman, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So we have the fall and the sin, and immediately God is there preaching the gospel, reminding him that he is going to send a mediator, reminding them that he is going to send one who is truly man, an offspring of the woman, a seed of the woman, who is going to crush the head of the serpent, who is going to crush and conquer the power of the devil. And I think that that's something that we need to be conscious of as we read through the Old Testament. When you read through the books of Moses, through the law of Moses as it's described, and as you read about these ceremonies and about these sacrifices, as you read about these sin offerings, sin offerings that take place, I think, I think we need to remember that these things are crying out and they are pointing to the need for a greater sacrifice and a greater offering in Jesus. And the author of Hebrews, uh, perhaps more so than any book of the New Testament, just, just seems to draw together all of these connections. I think of, of Hebrews 10, the way that the author talks about how the law was a shadow of the good things to come. And then goes on to talk about the fact that the blood of bulls and goats offered day after day that they would not possibly make atonements of sin, but they were, they were simply pointing forward to the need for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ offered once for all on the cross. It's the same thing with the prophets. When you read through the prophets, you read Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. It's when you read them and understand that they're all pointing to Jesus, that's when, that's when they come alive. I think we need to understand that God's word, to truly, truly grasp it, we need to realize that, that this book, from beginning to end, from beginning to end, is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was never a fallback plan. It's not as if Jesus was the fallback plan after Adam and Eve fall into sin. Jesus was not plan B after Noah and the flood. Jesus was not plan C after Abraham and after the, the failure of the Israelites. The Bible, right from the beginning, was ultimately about God's revelation of himself in Jesus Christ and about the sending of a promised mediator and redeemer in Jesus Christ. And if you don't understand that fundamental truth, then you will actually miss the point of the gospel. Then it will not be a joy to spend time in God's word, but instead it will act as a burden 
And I think we have something of an example in that in the life of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was someone for whom uh, much of his life, we could say, was, was a deeply religious individual, very, very bright. Someone who was thoroughly steeped in the teaching of God's Word. In Acts 22, we're, we're told that he studied at the feet of Gamaliel, and Gamaliel was, uh, was, was this widely esteemed Jewish rabbi. And so it was like going to the Harvard University of the day. Paul had an incredible understanding of God's Word. It's likely that he had large portions of it committed to memory. He knew the stories. He knew the characters. He was deeply, deeply aware of the various Jewish ceremonial laws. And yet he didn't really grasp the picture until he encountered Jesus Christ. He had a lot of understanding about God's Word but he didn't truly come to know God until that Damascus road. That's when he discovered Jesus Christ, and, and, and it was as if Jesus suddenly was the key that unlocked the door. It was as Jesus was suddenly that key that unlocked and brought everything together. And I think you see something of that in the way that Paul writes to the Colossians. Right? Paul, as he writes to the Colossians, he, he wants them so much to understand God's Word. He wants them to have a full assurance about the truth and about the knowledge of God's Word. But for him, he, he says, you know, to understand that, they need to understand the mystery that is Christ. For example, in Colossians 2, verse 2 and 3, as, as he prays for these believers that he hasn't met yet, these, these people from Laodicea, his prayer is that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And then he adds these words, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As I read these words, I was I was struck about a story that I read once. I think it goes back quite a ways. It's a story of um, an actor from the 1800s. And he was someone who would recite narratives. He would recite poems while on stage. And during one particular performance, he, he asked the audience if they had any requests. And there was an old preacher who was in attendance. And he asked the actor if he'd be willing to recite Psalm 23. And the actor looked at him and thought about it and said, I will under one condition, that you recite it after I'm done. And so the preacher said, well, I'm not, I'm not a performer um, like you, but if, if that's your request, then I'll, then I'll do it. And so the actor found a Bible. He flipped it open to Psalm 23, and he began to read, and he read powerfully. His voice filled the room. He had these kind of beautiful intonations to his voice that rose and fell with the psalm. And the audience was, was spellbound. And when he was finished, they erupted in applause. After he was done, then the old preacher came forward. And he recited the psalm from memory. He didn't have that powerful voice that filled the room 
His voice didn't have the same intonations. There was kind of a quiver to his voice. It was a bit weak. And yet when he finished, there was not a dry eye among the audience. The actor stood up and he addressed the crowd and he said this. He said, friends, I have reached your eyes and ears, but he has reached your heart. I read the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. And I love that story because it reminds us that our, our goal as Christians is not simply to read the psalm, but it is to know the shepherd. And our goal is, in even studying this doctrine, is not simply to read the Bible, but it is to know God. And the way that you know God is through his son, Jesus Christ. And this is the point that Paul holds out in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 and 6. Right? Paul says, there is one God, and there is one mediator. There, there is one conduit, we might say, between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. That is the testimony, that is the point of the gospel, to point us to the mediating work of Jesus Christ. So let me address the second question then. What is the impact of the gospel? What, 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 is, what is the consequence that the Holy Gospel is intended to have on our lives? And again, I think this is an important question. Because God's purpose in the gospel is not simply to point people to Jesus Christ. God's purpose in the gospel is also to cause people to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And I love the way that Paul draws this out in Colossians 2, verse 6. In Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7, these are some of my favorite verses just in all of Scripture. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. It's this beautiful picture of someone who is rooted in the faith that he's been taught. He's been rooted in Christ and now is growing and abounding to become more like Christ. Paul's desire deeply is for the Colossian church to know the truth of God's Word. But the reason he wants them to know God's Word is because God's Word is the instrument that God uses to bring people to faith. God's Word is the instrument that God uses by the power of His Spirit to cause people to receive Christ as Lord. It, it, it causes people to see Jesus Christ as this mediator, as the one who makes payment for sin, and as the one who actually shields us from the wrath of God. But God's purpose is not, is not simply to have people receive Christ. God's purpose is ultimately to cause them to become more and more like Christ for his glory. And, and if we don't understand that, then it's going to impact the way that we view God's Word and the way that we view the gospel message. 
And perhaps this is part of the danger that we're kind of seeing going on in the world today. This idea that the Bible is simply about belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the danger with that is that if that's all it is, then people get to a place where they go, well, yeah, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so I guess this has nothing left to offer me. That's why we need to remember that the goal is not simply to receive Christ as Lord, but God's purpose through his word is to cause us to flourish and to grow to become more like Christ our Lord. Jesus as our mediator He did not just die for our salvation, but Jesus, as our mediator, died to bring about a transformation. And we see something of this in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, which the Catechism cites. It reminds us that Jesus, as our mediator, has become for us the wisdom of God, our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And I want to highlight that word, sanctification, which really is one of these big words which we could say is is about the process of becoming more like Christ. It's the process of of day by day growing in the wisdom of God. And so today you could say that the catechism is, is also reminding us that it's not just about Jesus Christ as our mediator saving us, but that also It's about Jesus transforming us, shaping us by the power of his Spirit for God's glory. And the instrument that God uses is the Holy Gospel. The instrument that God uses is his Word. In Hebrews 4, verse 12, we're reminded that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The Word of God here is is pictured as a a surgeon's scalpel, as an instrument that is being used to remove, to carve away anything that does not look like Christ. Quite a few years ago now, when my wife and I got married, uh, we took a cruise for our honeymoon. And one night on this cruise, it was down to the Caribbean, and one night there was uh, an an ice sculpting competition. Now, as you can imagine, since this took place in the Caribbean, given the the temperature and the heat, these ice sculptures did not last a, a long time, so that's why they did this at night. But it was something that was remarkable to watch because they brought out simply a few blocks of ice and then the sculptors began to go to work. And it was almost as if, even though the, the sculptors had simply a block of ice, it was almost as if they were looking past the block of ice to what it was that they wanted it to be. And when they began, they just began to chip and to carve and to shave away things And and slowly, little by little, that image that they had in their mind began to come to life, and you could see it take shape in front of you. And I think on some level, maybe that's a way that we could think of the mediating work of Jesus Christ. On, On the one hand, he is that shield that protects us from the heat. He he is he is a shield that 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 protects us from the wrath of God against sin. 
but in protecting us from the wrath of sin, he's also making our transformation possible. And God does that by the power of his word, shaping us, carving us away so that we are conformed more and more, Scripture says, to the image of his Son. In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about this this shaping also in the context of the larger body of Christ. He says in Ephesians 4, verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So I want to ask you this afternoon, do do you value the Holy Gospel? Do you value the Word of God for what it is? Do you recognize it not simply as the gospel of salvation, but also as the gospel of transformation? Do you recognize that even though we we, we are a work in progress, that God is using that to shape and transform us? And does our view of the value of God's Word and the significance that it has does that also shape the way that we live? I mean, does it shape the time that we spend in God's Word? I'm not talking simply about opening up the Bible around the dinner table, which I think is important and should be something that we practice. But, but as we reflect on the gospel as being the tool that allows us to see the mediating work of Jesus Christ— Do we also take time personally, prayerfully, to just pour over the pages of God's Word and and to seek the ways in which it points us to Christ? Are Are we prayerfully asking ourselves, what is this passage revealing to me about the areas where I have room still to grow to be more like Christ? And, and when we come here on Sunday, or I guess when we, when we tune in on Sunday, is, is it simply a matter of attending, or, or are we desiring to see Jesus? And that's not simply the responsibility of the pastor. Do, do we come here with open Bibles so that we can make sure that what the pastor is saying is actually lining up with what God is also teaching that there's conformity between those two things. Are we desiring to see ourselves grow deeply? I, I recognize I'm probably a little old-fashioned on this point, and I know that there's wonderful Bible apps out there and technology. But, but I think, what would it say if, if we were just walking into church holding our Bibles? Not, not simply as a symbol of truth and authority, but clinging to it, recognizing that it is the final truth and the final authority. I think there's an unfortunate narrative out there which kind of says that we're, we're, we're writing our own story. I hear that terminology sometimes when I, when I read the papers. You know, they'll describe humanity kind of as if we're writing our own story. 
today we're being reminded that, that there's only one story, and, it, and it's God's story. And the reason God has sent Jesus Christ is that through Jesus Christ, we are ultimately able to find our place in that story. And so this is one of those passages that reminds us, one of those also doctrines that reminds us not simply to see the, the, the mediating work of Jesus Christ in terms of saving, but also to see it in terms of transforming, shaping, and molding us to be like Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven,